Welcome back to another very exciting episode of Trying to Figure It Out. For the people who are new here on Trying to Figure It Out, we do literally exactly that. We try to figure things out from life to family dynamics, mental health struggles, relationships, friendships, pretty much everything under the sun we talk about on this podcast. And this week with me, we have Craig Sheffer, who to me is known as Uncle Keith from One Tree Hill, but he's so much more than that. He's such an amazing person, an amazing actor. He's super successful, and I'm very excited to start figuring some things out with Craig. So welcome, Craig. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. For people who did not watch One Tree Hill, Craig played a character named Keith Scott. He was Uncle Keith. He was on the show as a main character through season three. One Tree Hill is a show that I actually watched for the first time in college. I did not grow up watching it. I was more of a Gossip Girl, 90210 girl. Is it very different than 90210, which I've never seen? Yeah. I would say the difference is 90210 and Gossip Girl are the kinds of shows that cover these big cities that have a lot of people with privilege, a lot of, you know, bigger storylines of, you know, people who are living in Beverly Hills and going to these rich schools and going to beach clubs on the weekends and having their silly dramas and their breakups and their girl fights and all of those kinds of things. Whereas One Tree Hill is so many different things. It focuses on music. It focuses on a small town and just life and things that I feel like reach a larger audience of relatability. I think when you watch One Tree Hill, you're really watching something that people not just in Beverly Hills or New York City go through. We're talking like all of America. Like where I grew up. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in blue-collar America, which is pretty much 85% of the people in the country, really, right? Exactly. I think One Tree Hill is just so niche and just touches on subjects that weren't touched on, especially in that time. Yeah. One Tree Hill averaged 3.5 million viewers in its first season, which is really crazy, especially at that time. So... What was it like for you being part of such a successful show? I don't think I knew how successful it was. You know, <laughs> um, I had never done television before. You know, I started in early 80s in yeah. New York City, you know, doing theater and all that. And then did movie, movie, movies, you know, 80 movies, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, this show came along and I really liked the character and uh, the cast. So, you know, I jumped on board and everybody was kind of saying, you know, I you know, don't expect much. I'm like, I'm fine. However it works out, you yeah. know? And then, you know, we do two, three shows. They were like, this might only last the pilot, might only last two, three. And then, you know, four or five shows into it, suddenly, you know, I walk into a mall with my daughter and I'm being chased by <laughs> like 20 teenage girls down the hall. I'm like, Uncle Keith, Uncle Keith. I was like, wow, that happened fast, you know? So I'd never been on a TV show before. And right. my first one was like, suddenly this... uh little hit of a show and it wasn't on a network so it was it wasn't like being on 90210 or friends or something like that it was a a smaller world of fans but they were people who really really loved the show and became obsessed with the characters yeah i know you didn't really watch the show but do you have a favorite episode that you can remember well i I mean i watched the first show and i would see bits and pieces of it my you know daughter would watch it so you know, we'd watch little bits and pieces. And uh, of course, I did watch the show where I got shot um, because that was so sort of insane. And so insane. Later on, I got to I see it more actually after I left the show. Um, yeah. Because my daughter was in watching it. She had the discs and all that stuff. And her friends would come over and want to see it and want me to, you know, be there. So I would, uh, <laughs> I got to see a little more. And I think it really has a lot of heart. 
I mean, it's a it's heart, but it's also just really a it's an intense little show. And the, it's really intense. I think a big part of the success is uh, the way they chose the music and blended the music in because it just it just takes what's happening and just blends it seamlessly with yeah with the emotions that they're trying to evoke and and couldn't agree and make more. it all. And it's 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 really well done. Yeah, that's one thing the you know the guy who uh, made the show for sure. Did, did really well, and he was a musician too, Mark Schwann. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard a lot about him. Yeah, definitely heard about him. I have a playlist that I listen to in my car, and it's a lot of songs from One Tree Hill, and my boyfriend will be like, this is such a One Tree Hill song. I know that's where you found this song. I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I uh, like the music from that show. It was it's really, good. just so well done. I mean, Gavin Grohl was launched by that That, that show made song. his career. Yeah, it made his career. I mean, and it's it, What crazy. a nice guy too. He came down and actually played at our cast party and uh Aww. we had some things in common my father was a prison guard so it was his really? he actually says that in the song really so we had kind of blue collar similar roots Amazing. And, uh, and yeah and the other people that came down really nice people tyler yeah. hilton and i think yeah. michelle branch do you have a cast member that you enjoyed working with the most or that you still have a close relationship with now well i see everybody you know we do these conventions we all went to paris in um for one tree hill last year at this time we were in we were in paris doing a convention wow you go to you guys go to paris for these conventions yeah they've done them all over the world i think they're putting another one together in london there's another one in charleston and then we do like one a year in in wilmington yeah in the town where they have the locations so fans get get to go go see karen's coffee shop and the high school and trick matter of fact we've been uh the last time we did it was in i think november and we uh, stationed the whole thing at Tricks this time. I thought it was the best because before that they were doing it at a convention center. It was more, more spread out. Right. This one, everybody was more concentrated and right. we more were intimate. got more interaction with the fans as opposed to being taken to a green room or away from everybody and then go out and do the pictures. We were kind of right. all. I thought it was the most sort of intimate setting they had done yet, and That's I hope they do the next one like that because so is Trick a real place. I think they made it a real place back then for a little bit, but now they're literally turning it into a nightclub. I don't know who bought <laughs> it and is doing it, making it the actual Tricks nightclub. So, crazy. but when we did the convention, they were serving drinks to everybody, and yeah, the and, brain uh, blaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Going into season three, the director Mark Schwann, who we talked about a little bit, gave mm-hmm. you some mixed messages about your role on the show going forward and whether or not you'd be continuing on the show. Can you give me a little more context as to what was going on at that time and what you were being told and what you really knew going into shooting season three? I didn't know much. I know that I was, you know, paid for every show. So the last six shows of the season, they decided to have, I think, me and Chad go away. Yeah, you guys left out of town for like, that was when you had the Jules, the fiance. So Mark told me uh, and... uh, he said, yes, we're well, not going to be here for the last six shows. You and Chad, we're going to send you guys off, but you know, we're going to do a special year next year. And I was like, you know, am I coming back next year? And he's like, oh, yeah, of course. And the next year, suddenly I was like, I never got a call until like I found out. Paul was like, yeah, we're going back. I was like, I didn't hear anything. They didn't call my agents. Or men, and then he calls me like three days after Paul told me and you know, everybody's going back. He was like, yeah, so good news and bad news. Uh, got a great season for you, but you're going to get killed off and... That's you know, insane. they have the right to do that, I guess. You know, we signed a seven-year contract, and they can basically kill your character off at any time. So right. that's so the way when that our happens, industry works. How does that work? If you sign a contract and then they kill off your character, the contract just ends? Yeah. 
nothing, like just done. Pretty much, yeah. When you got that call, did he brief you or prep you for how you were going to be killed off? Did you have any idea going into the season what was coming ahead? Because it feels to me like that's a pretty, you know, you have to prepare yourself emotionally for that kind of content and that kind of way of being killed I off. I was it's- very, I was surprised. Um, yeah, he told me the basic idea of how it was going to go down. And I was thinking, wow, this, I don't know if you really want to mess with killings in schools you know yeah. this was not that long after columbine it was only this 10, was 10 also years like after the first Colum- time less than 10 years after that columbine. a show really touched on this yeah nationally for young viewers yeah so it was really impactful i was curious to ask you how the cast reacted and if they had people on site to help you guys like counselors and like how were you guys prepped for that yeah, I don't think, uh, you know, there was none of that, no, especially back... Now they might do that, you know, everything's changed a little bit. People are more aware of uh, people's mental health and, yeah. and uh, in handling the situation. I would worry more about... I was worried more about the audience. Right. Like, I didn't want a copycat situation. I had already been part of one 10 years before that, that was people died because of what I did in a movie. And uh, that was a movie called The Program. It was a football movie. Oh, wow. Uh, James Conn, Halle Berry. I was the main guy, the quarterback. My character lays down on the street and cars drive either way at night. Right. And I was like, this is very irresponsible. I don't think Horrible. this is a good thing. First of all, it's not cool. Like, if you're going to make the character look cool and dangerous, have him, like, dive off a railroad bridge into water. Right. Or Anyway, I didn't really want to do it. And they pretty much, you know, forced me to do it. And two kids from my home state, opening weekend, did that stunt and got killed. So they wow. pulled the film from the theater. It was number one at the box office the first week or I don't know if it was the first or second week, but it was number one at the box office. They pulled it for three weeks and then put it back out. And but it was uh, so I was already part of that. And that was my thinking was like, are you sure you want right. to put this on a a sort of teen show with? all those impressionable people right. out there and but it seemed to do the opposite it seemed to be a there seemed to be a healing element to it for Absolutely. the viewership and um i think something that allowed people to understand a little of the thinking of somebody who is a mental and social outcast you 100%. know mentally not not totally there and then with bullying and all the other stuff that goes yeah. on you can see how you know, that could springboard into sure. into a violent act. It was definitely hard to watch. And still to this day, it's it's amazing that that was put out when it was put out. And thank God it had the impact yeah, that and it did. Look, yeah, and how, how, now it's just, now it's every other week, right? It's, it's... It's crazy. Yeah, already in 2023, there's been 74 people killed or injured in school shootings, in, which... Just in schools? Wow. Just in schools. That's that number is obviously way wow. larger if we're not talking schools, but just the fact that that's in schools, a place of that you would imagine to be safe, is a crazy number. What role do you think that this One Tree Hill episode can have when we talk about gun violence and school shootings today? Well, I think there's several elements, and one is what your show sort of talks about all the time, which is mental health. Yeah, I mean you got to be able to. You know, parents have to be responsible enough to know where their kids are mentally. Yeah. They need to be checking in with their kids. And guns are a part of it. I don't, I don't think there's any reason that people, unless unless they have some serious uh, mental checks, need to have uh, AR-15s yeah. and automatic weapons, you know. We didn't have those for a long time. And um, 
so that's a big problem because you can take out too many people at once before anybody can even get involved. That's that's a problem. It's a huge but problem. more than that, I think is just the parents at home, you know, knowing where your kids are at, and if you do have guns, you know, keep them in a safe. But also, yeah, the bullying. I, I don't get it. There are so many things going on where people are coming out and saying they're being bullied in school, but the school doesn't do anything about it. Nobody, there's no discipline mm-hmm. also anymore. We kind of let everything go. So, yeah. so many of these cases, the person's been bullied interminably, you know? Yeah. And they sometimes turn a gun on their classmates and sometimes they turn it on themselves, but it's happening a lot. I don't, I don't know. Mental health and you know, parents got to be yeah more aware of where their kids are at. Yeah. We think we've made progress, but there's just so much more progress to be made in terms of recognizing mental health, the resources for mental health. You know, just having a guidance counselor in school isn't enough. Having one counselor, you know, there's still a lot of like people who don't believe in that. So if you have the guidance counselor to check a box, that doesn't mean people are going to utilize that resource. There has to be ways to encourage people and feel safe to utilize that resource as well. And there's just, I mean, I could talk about that. They also have, hours, have to but. build a system of some sort because these kids that are being bullied heavily are going to their counselors. Right. The principals are informed. Right. You know, but there's nothing being done. How? What do you do to the people who are doing the bullying? Yep. It's almost like there's a, a, a lack of a, um, a systemic way to, to respond to yeah. the bullying, which it seems like almost every single one of these kids that p- picks up the gun is you know an outcast and is bullied almost every single one absolutely so or just openly struggling and no one's doing anything to help them it's very devastating honestly i want to talk a little bit about mark schwan because i have personally heard a lot about him and read a lot about him and you've said before that he had a really like non-collaborative control over the cast members and over the show and you kind of touched on this, but I'm curious what he was like as a director and what the dynamic was with you and him and him and the other cast members as well. He was so about control to the point of where, like in the beginning, I was wearing, I was kind of being me. I was yeah. wearing what I wear. I was wearing my Timberlands, my pants tucked in, yeah, bandana, had a little bit of facial hair. And it was like one by one, he kept like taking things away. And then so it would be strange. like... If you don't take off the bandana for that scene, they're going to fire you. It was just about just very, very controlling. And, uh, yeah. you know, as, as a guy who'd been doing it for 20 years already at that point, it was a little demeaning. A hundred percent. Like, you know, this is my first TV show. You asked me to come do it. I'm doing it. Now you're going to start micromanaging all my clothing and yeah. whether I put tuck my pants and my boots, which plenty of people do in middle America. And right. now I got to have my bandana off. Now I've got to shave down no no scruff at all and like, why yeah like, it was literally like, why? just felt like it was about control that's what it seemed yeah. like to me kind of raises the question for me of like if that was happening to you as a grown man on the show like i can only imagine what it was like for sophia bush and hillary and bethany like all these people who yeah were really young when the show started and they're women and like what what was he controlling them with and how did they navigate that I was hearing stuff about him sort of having little attractions with the cast and yeah. making some inappropriate comments about having kissed some people and yeah. that kind of stuff. I started hearing, I guess by the third season, I started hearing a little more about, you know, the, especially the control with the right. kids and how it was just like he was doing the same thing to them, just kind of like, just do it. Right. Not like no 
question collaboration and you know watching the show you would never think that anyone was unhappy being on that show when you watch it you just feel like everyone is just a happy family and like the cast members all love each other so it's sad to hear and crazy to hear I guess it's just something you learn when you live in LA what you see is so different than what's really going on behind the scenes and I've had my fair share of those experiences as well so it's just interesting yeah and I and I think a lot of it too is this intimidation factor by producers directors the men in charge mostly power dynamics um I felt it from some other members of that production team um just in terms of the control and just kind of a bullying aspect yeah well, thank you for talking about all my One Tree Hill gossip and giving me all this information that is really interesting to hear as a person who loves the show. I now want to just talk about you and your life now and your family and just who are who is Craig Sheffer? Not Uncle Keith, not Keith Scott, none of that. Just who are you? So you've continued acting in films and television shows since One Tree Hill. What does life look like for you now? What's like a what's a day in your life and what's a year in your life? Yeah, that's a good question. My life's pretty simple. I like to write. I'm developing scripts. I write poetry. I write. I'm working on a novel that I've been working on for like 15 years. That's amazing. Keep it simple. I like to ride my motorcycle, hang out with my daughter, spend time with you know her. I was back for a long time after One Tree Hill. I was pretty much checked out of the business. My mom uh, had uh, dementia, and my brother he uh, was bedridden from bunch of heart attacks so I went back and took care of them for like six years I came back two weeks before the pandemic so everything pretty much shut down for a year and a half and uh and so it's it's and they've been the business has changed dramatically now with all oh yeah it's like all streaming Mm -hmm. and that literally was in that small chunk of time I was gone where everything turned around so you know I'm developed my own my own things and it's nice to try to keep on growing you know yeah there's so much room for that you know my that's daughter helps me with that true. a lot. It's amazing. She's very deep and powerful and smart, and that's like she, her whole inner world is awesome. And yeah, like we can talk about this stuff forever and keep each other working on things. And yeah, uh, so you have one daughter. Yeah, and she's twenty nine. You said twenty nine. Yeah. Okay. And does she live in Los Angeles as well? She does. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about your guys's relationship and what it was like having to travel a lot with a young daughter and? What like what is your family dynamic like? Yeah, well, I was with her mother for uh, a long time. Her mother was uh, Gabrielle Anwar, who's an actress from uh, *Son of a Woman*. She tangos with Pacino in *Son of the Woman* and and uh, all that. So we were together on and off for a bunch of years, and uh, and then she had Willow, and uh, and we were together for a couple of years, and then broke up. Then she met another guy, and they ended up having two babies, and I was their kid's godfather. And we all did all holidays together and traveled around and would go to sets. Her and I did like five or six movies together when we weren't together to keep the blended kind of families going. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was a interesting way for my, my daughter to grow up. And she's 10 for years sure. older than the other kids. Yeah. So like when I went to do One Tree Hill, she had she was in about fourth grade at that time. Her mother had just had her, her first kid with the other guy. So it was like, well, why don't I just take Willow and bring a teacher along and try to catch her up? She was didn't yeah. like going to school, wasn't into it at all. So that's what I did for for the for the One Tree Hill period. Yeah, I always say this: like, I'm grateful that my parents made the choice that they made to separate. I don't think anyone would rather choose the path of watching two people unhappy together. I don't think that that's a 
enjoyable way to grow up or to watch two people claim that that's what love is. I don't think that's a good way to learn what love is or what relationships are supposed to be like. So I'm sure it makes it hard either way, actually. I mean, because I I look at my parents, they were together all their lives, you know, um, and they fought terribly like cats and dogs. But the interesting thing about them is there was a unconditional love beneath all that, Mm -hmm. that I could always see in them. I don't know what's harder, if it's harder when they split up or it's harder when they don't, but I was, I I knew that I was also loved unconditionally despite all the um, character issues and... uh, Yeah, I think that's all that matters as long as you can show your child that they are loved and... Yeah, because none of us are perfect. Pretty much everybody does the best they can with what they have at any particular time. So you can't condemn people too much or hold too much resentment because, uh, including me, can't hold too much against ourselves either because we do the best we can at times. And when my family died and and I left there, I had two years of grieving. There's nothing I could do. Two years of depression and grieving, and um, there's nothing I could do to get out of it. I had to let had to let the grieving process take place and let the time pass and and just say this is where I'm at, man, and I can't. I can't sledgehammer myself in the head and and uh, beat myself out of it. Yeah, I'm like coming out of a bit of a depressive state and two-year period of going through a lot of trauma and experiencing depression for the first time in my life. And the whole time, I really made a point to just accept where I was in that time. I always say this when I'm asked what's my best advice to someone who's struggling is just not to be hard on yourself. I literally, I think that's brilliant. I could never not say, there's no better advice I have to give. I think that we all try so hard to be like, just be happy or just feel better. Or just go do this and you'll feel better. We're always looking for that one piece of happiness. And yeah. sometimes you just have to let something run its course. And I think like if that's two years of depression or five years, like we don't pick what's given to us and if we're not hard on ourselves for allowing ourselves to go through that, like that's the only way out in my opinion because the times where I tried to pressure myself to snap out of it, I was 10 steps backwards. I always say, I think every day gets a little better, but I think the days where I'm like, you know, I can't get out of bed today and I don't want to. And instead of being hard on myself for that, I'm just like, I'm going to stay in bed and watch One Tree Hill today. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be my day, and I'm You're not going to judge than, myself. That took me to like uh, late 50s, you know, when I went through the grieving process with my family because I had had depression on and off, anxiety more than anything, PTSD. Yeah. And um, just was always hard on myself because I am the caretaker and things like that. And when those things take you down and you're that guy, and then yeah. you have extended periods of time like I had in my 50s. Yeah. It just, I couldn't see myself as a strong person anymore. And it really just yeah. tore my heart out. I didn't even feel like I could be the st- strong father that I've w- always been. And I could see that she saw my weakness and my yeah. emotion. And it was very, it's its difficult. So you do yeah. got to let yourself uh, have those periods of time and keep reminding yourself that, you know, you're okay. Yeah. As hard as it was for your daughter to see you like that, I'm sure she'll always look back and be grateful that she was able to see you as a human, not as a superhero who doesn't get affected by real life because we all do. And I think the people who try to act like everything's fine and then they shut down behind closed doors are actually portraying a way worse example than someone who can show what they're really feeling. And and, and at least talk about it with the people that are, um, are worthy of that trust. 100%. That's very true. 
So I gave my advice that I would give to someone when they're in their lowest point or their hardest point. What would you say that yours would be? I, I think you pretty much just said it, which is <laughs> you got to try to accept where you're at, but you, but also remind yourself that you, you know, there's a strength within you to to be able to move through it and try to trust your roadmap, your heart. Well, thank you so much for everything. I've had the best time talking to you. I do something in every episode. As I told you, I love music and I love to incorporate music into my podcast because it does hold such a special place in my heart. So I do a segment called Alpies 3, where I pick three songs each episode that kind of pertain to the theme of whatever we talked about. And I usually have my guests contribute whatever songs come to their mind. So in the vein of One Tree Hill being one of the most special music shows to have ever existed. I was thinking together we could come up with three songs that we think are One Tree Hill songs or songs that remind oh, us of the show to put on the playlist that I have from each episode. I obviously think we should do uh, I Don't Want to Be. I don't want to be anything I think that should obviously be on the playlist because it's the yeah. iconic theme so song. So they have to have been on the show? Or no, they just it can be a song that like gives One Tree Hill vibes. I think the underwater scene where I saved James, it should have been Breathe. You know that song? Yeah. From that era? Yeah. I like that. But I will say Boston, when they're driving in the like wedding getaway car and they're leaving their wedding, Boston by, I believe it's Augustana, that song is just iconic do you have any other ones you want to throw in hallelujah that's a beautiful song yeah beautiful song so that was a very special episode for me i had the best time talking with you you are incredible it's really cool for me to learn who you are as a person separate from a show that i feel like i know you from watching and it's also cool to see how true to that character you really are it seems like that was just simple acting for you because it was so in line with who you are and your personality traits. So thank you for sharing so much with me and talking about your family dynamics and telling me more about all my little One Tree Hill fandom <laughs> questions. Thank you for coming on Trying to Figure It Out. Thank you for having me. You're amazing. I hope thank we you figured so something much. out today. I think we, we're on our way. We know that we don't know anything. <laughs> we know and that we can't, can't get ever any better than figure that, it right? out. <laughs> Well, thank you. I look forward to talking to you guys next week. Thank you all for listening. And that's a wrap. See you guys. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs>